especially you know being from you know a low-income community especially being the first in my family to go to college and to come from you know parents who were undocumented at some point and also I'm queer I'm like neurodiverse like there's so many reasons why I should not exist within the art world and so because of that I do feel like I'm so 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 drawn to holding creating forging space for people like me on this week's episode we have on edgar fabian frias who's an artist therapist curator educator and brujex and aside from all those accomplishments edgar has the most soothing voice and is probably the only thing that can calm me down while having road rage but before we get into that combo, Isabel gives us an update on becoming a new dog mom, which I know she'll use to her advantage to get out of things she doesn't want to do. We call that working smarter, not harder. Anyways, we chat about a few other topics like Halloween and me stepping on dog poop in my Birkenstocks. All right, laters. I'm gonna yeah. let you kick this one off. Oh boy, <laughs> all right. We're on episode 31 of this one's on us and it's friday friday morning ish isabel and i are i don't know how are we doing are we all right i know you've been going through it isabel's isabel's got a lot going on actually yeah i'm kind of having a rough week i feel like i just i have a lot going on a lot of balancing lots of priorities it's it's the middle of the work day so that's i'm talking like balancing priorities and shit um yeah, it's uh, this is probably the hardest week I've had in a bit. Just lots of different things. But I'm glad to take this little break in the day and chat with you. And we had such a good conversation yesterday, which also lifted my spirits. So, yeah. How about yeah, you? Not only, not only is um, Isabel a working gal, a very busy working gal, she is now officially a dog mom, which we <laughs> talked about on the previous episode. <laughs> and why don't you uh, tell everybody your dog's name and a little bit about your doggo? Oh my God. I can't believe it. Yeah. The last time we spoke, I was like, I think I'm about to be a dog mom. And I became one. I went zero to a hundred into my dog mom era. Um, I walk around with a little sling and a tiny little boy on me at all times. Um, his name is Ollie. He is five pounds. <laughs> um, and honestly, I feel like I really luck. I mean, this week is hard because there's just a lot going on and he requires a lot of attention, but, um, I think I lucked out. Like, I think he's like a pretty good boy. The first night, he, the first few nights, like he did not cry in his sleep at all. Like, I don't know. He's just been, he's kind of like perfect for me, which is so sweet. You met yeah. him. I got to meet him and he, he, I can, I can vouch and validate that he is very calm and chill for a little puppy and he doesn't whine. He just kind of looks around, looks at you and mm -hmm. he has the softest, like round, like button puppy eyes. eyes. I know. Yeah. Like he is, he is a very cute, cute puppy. Um, I know. Uh, yeah. I feel like, like I, a little, little kangaroo. He I looks like a kangaroo, like a marsupial. Yeah. He kind of looks like a deer too. <laughs> mm -hmm. And like, he has this habit of like, he likes to be up on my shoulder, like on my neck. So I, I'm like joking. Like I wanted a dog, but I got like a little parrot marsupial <laughs> combo <laughs> mix. 
Um, but no, I feel like I mentally prepared for this for so long that it it's felt pretty natural, like bringing him into my life. You know what I mean? Like I've literally visualized this and prepared for like a year. I've been looking at pups and like imagining it. So, it's- and it's, it's crazy to think like, you're going to have this, you know, I just want to say human, this like <laughs> a- animal, this like little person in your life for, you know, knock on wood, you know, can be like a, over a decade, which yeah. is like such a crazy, like thing to think about in, in my mind, at least like, yeah. Like, wow. So I brought him home and it's just us two. And like, I literally was like, I understand why new parents need like meal trains and food delivery. I was like, this is so hard. Like, I was like, when do I have time to feed myself? Like, I get it. I was comparing myself truly to a parent. <laughs> I know it's not the same, but I mean, there's similarities. I'd be up in the middle of the night taking him to go potty and you know, yeah, Isabel already Isabel already texted me this week. See if I could if I could babysit him <laughs> next week so she can get her hair did. <laughs> okay, I'm well like, that's okay. because my hairdresser is down the street from you, and I thought it would be a perfect way for you guys to bond. No, I texted you that, and he literally texted me back. I knew this day was going to come, but I didn't expect it to be so <laughs> soon. <laughs> you like how I yeah. positioned it as like, do you want to? Like, do you want to? <laughs> yeah. Do you want to spend time with my son? I'm not going to be there. I got to go get my hair done, but you can spend time with him and bond. <laughs> Every time you tell me you have a trip coming up, I'm going to be like, oh, I'm, 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 I'm busy. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to be out of town too. Well, you know, it's sweet is he, the foster mom that was taking care of him as a baby. She's like, she was pretty attached to him. And she said, she's like, we've already been texting. Like she like follows me on Instagram. And um, she said, that she could babysit like whenever. So I have a family trip coming up in December. I think I'm going to take her up on it. I need to text her. Like, yeah. hey. so, and she's not too far away. So that's nice. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Have her watch. Not me. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I have enjoyed, I mean, I think the last time we talked, I was going into the weekend so I could watch my buddy Jeremiah's dog who his dog is like awesome and super, super well-trained and well-behaved. Mm-hmm. But, and I watched him for f- like four days and on, by like the third day I was like, okay, I, I think I'm ready to go home. I need my, <laughs> my space. Like I, I commend dog owners for that actually love their dogs because I was just like, this is a lot. Like, like the routine of it of like, yeah, up every, like you can't, I, you know, every morning it's like, all right, take him out to pee at six 45 got to feed him at seven, walk him at seven 30. So it can go poop. It's just like, so like, like it Routine. gets in my head. Yeah. I'm just like, yeah. wait, I can't, I can't leave. And, and of course, like, I know you like get used to like leaving them by themselves for a little bit, but yo, I, I give you guys a lot of credit. Cause I was just like, I, I don't have that bone in my body. I think to like take care of something long-term more than the four days. Um, <laughs> Well, I think think it's different when it's your own because I've definitely like... You sound like a a parent. No, but I mean it because... Well, I guess I also just like knew what to expect. But like, you know, like I co-parented a puppy in 2020 and she's still my first little baby. But um, I definitely like felt that more like super frustrated. Like, oh my God, like I can't like leave. And now, I mean, I've left him for like an hour at a time, a couple times and... I don't know. I guess it's just like trusting yourself versus like someone else's like little loved one. 
Yeah, I think I think it all go, a lot of it goes back to like the poop thing. Like I just like picking up something somebody else's poop for the rest of their life. It just it drives me nuts. That's why I feel like I don't think I can get a dog until if I ever owned a like a house or like something with a little backyard because yeah. I'm just like, oh my god, well, there was one morning. Still to pick it up if it's in the backyard. I know, but I, like at least I get a little time. Like yeah, but like there there was one morning where like I took him out and he didn't want to go poop and I was just like come on, like, I gotta get to work. And I was just like, let's get this going, buddy. And I'm just like, God, people deal with this every single day. Yeah, people deal with this every day. Honestly, I think that when like, he has his little poops, because like, I've dog sat big dogs before. And that is like, (laughs) dehumanizing, honestly, to pick up like a steaming, huge turd from like like a a human shit. Yeah, I'm like, Oh, my God, I love big dogs. But no, not I can't handle that right now. I, imagine this whole fucking week me this stressed out and then I'd have to pick up human sized poops all day. No, thank you. Uh-uh. No. Uh-uh. Oh my god. I I I was telling you at Jeremiah's house in front of his house, he has like a it's like an impromptu like dog park basically for the whole like community. And most people are good, but there's like I would see like dog shit that people didn't pick up and there was one night that i took the dog out and we were like running around and playing with the ball so i couldn't see anything and i got back into the apartment and it started smelling like shit and i was like oh no i ended up smelling like stepping on shit and i was so pissed i was so angry at just like the world in general because i'm like how do people not pick up their dog shit and i was just like this is why i never want a dog even though i I do want a dog it just it just it, it makes me so mad when people are lazy like that. It drove uh-huh. me. It drove me nuts for like twenty four hours. Yeah, but, that's annoying. Oh, uh, all right. Well, enough about dog poop. But congratulations <laughs> on on finally fulfilling your goal of being um, a dog mom. And um, well, let's see. Let's see how you raise this little this little tyke. Thank you. If I he's going to be a par- party boy like his mama, or if he's going to be <laughs> a re- a reformed, um, I don't know, dog and and my calm and chill yeah we'll see so far he's been pretty calm good 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 so um what else do you got going on in your life isabel other than work stressing you the fuck out and picking up dog shit i mean that's that's pretty much <laughs> that's it your life now. That's, <laughs> that's your life that's my life yeah Welcome to your 30s cool i know seriously i i don't know halloween's coming up i I'm just going to chill with friends and pass out candy. Oh, my God. I really am old. <laughs> you are old. There's no slutty outfit this time? Damn, you yeah, are old. I don't know. If it comes last minute, if there's, like, something fun on the weekend, who am I to say no? But the Latin Beyonce? Okay. So far, no. What about mm-hmm. you? Um, I am avoiding Halloween parties. Uh, I got invited to one. I probably won't go. Um. And I live in like a very small, like nobody goes comes trick or treating in my neighborhood because it's just like apartments. So that surprises me. I I like know. anywhere in Pasadena would be like lit with trick or treaters. No, because what they do is they they all take their families <laughs> to like the rich neighborhoods oh, with the big yeah. houses for the big candy bars. The so like they don't bars. they don't mess around with like the poor people in my neighborhood. So they yeah. they go to the nice neighborhoods. So I I'm, thankfully like I just I, every year I just keep my lights off and I. Uh, just watch TV and I'm, oh, I go to bed early. You should pass out candy in case there is. You should keep your light That's on. Like, that you, You're such I a, always... what's it called? The, the, uh, in Christmas, the guy that hates uh, Christmas. Grinch? No. Well, yeah, the Grinch. 
<laughs> what, what am I thinking of? It's like an old story. It's like the old man. <sighs> the Christmas story, you know? Not familiar? Uh, no. <laughs> What's it Saint called? Nick? No. Oh, my God. Whoever is listening, if you remember what the fuck I'm talking about, it's like he's an old man. It's a classic Christmas story, and he hates Christmas. That's the only thing I remember. It's like from like the 20s. It's a black and white movie. It's an actual, not an animated film. Yeah, and it's well, it's like a story. Like it's yeah, yeah. and and he reflects on his life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, isn't it called? It's not called a Christmas story. I don't know. Or is that the that one? Sounds, or is that the one that with the? Right. Is that the one with the kid that shoots out his eye with the red? Yeah, that's the Christmas story. Um. Yeah. Okay. I know what you're talking about, but um. Yeah. Anyways, I don't think I'll, I. I don't like holidays, so I. I. I'll avoid doing anything, especially now. I'm not gonna like. I don't want to be around drunk people or people yeah, doing that's drugs. True. So uh, I'll probably just lay low, like I normally do on the weekends, and. Oh, I think it's like during the week. It's like on a, a Tuesday or Wednesday. So Yeah, it's on a Tuesday. Yeah, so I'll just keep my lights off and that's about it. Yeah. Well, maybe you need to do that exercise that Edgar taught us. Of, <laughs> oh, yeah. Know. Just being in, in in the presence, like when we were on like our Google Meet and just like mm-hmm. chatting, like deme- the demeanor is just like, you know, just very soothing. So we had a good combo and... um we hope you like it, and yeah. hopefully next week Isabel's week isn't as crazy, and um, she'll share more stories of of her and Ollie. We feel like we all got really like more vulnerable than we thought we were. Like going into the conversation, it's just a testament to their presence um, in the conversation. They go by they them pronouns in this conversation. We both mess it up a couple of times, um, but. We're keeping that in there. It's raw and real, and we're both trying to learn. Um, but we loved our conversation, and we know you guys will too. So stay tuned. Yeah, enjoy. All right. Hello, everyone. So, to our listeners, if you've been listening for a while, um, you know that Pedro and I have been on a journey, and this is it's separate journeys, but really tied to how do we get to know ourselves better? Like whether that's in the lens of our relationship with alcohol or um, healing past traumas we didn't realize were had been coming up in our daily life, um, and in tune with this, we had an event about at the beginning of the year. Um, and we thought, what's a way to engage the people that are coming to our event and really have them kind of question their own journeys and their own, um, you know, really get to know themselves and challenge them there. And we thought, how about having a tarot card reader or somebody that could really help engage and start those conversations. So in looking around, peeking around the internet, um, I came across an amazing account um, of Edgar Fabian Frias. He is a multidisciplinary artist, educator, psychotherapist, brujex, and a non-binary artist. And I know that's a lot of titles, and I hope I don't mess them up. So Edgar, please introduce yourself, and thank you so much for joining 
Yeah, so glad that we could finally connect in this way. And yeah, my name is Edgar Fabian Frias, and I use they them pronouns, and I am very multidisciplinary. Oh, no worries. Um, I'm pretty expansive as a person. I uh, have a career as a psychotherapist, and I'm also an artist and a brujex too, which means that I connect with um, both Indigenous and Latinx um, practices, cultural practices of magic and spirituality. And so, yes. yeah, I'm, I also identify as a mutant, which means that I cannot be contained. <laughs> oh my God, I love that. I'm learning so much already. Yeah, I kind of want to start start off with brew hex because this might be the first time I've heard that. And, you know, it's October, it's Halloween season, but that's not what we're talking about when <laughs> we refer to kind of the witchiness, the brujeria. Um, so can you kind of share with Pedro and I, like, what that means, how you identify. Yeah, so uh, brujex is like the gender neutral uh, word for brujo, bruja. Uh, you could also say bruje too is another way that I've heard it said. And it's essentially someone who connects with the earth, with the elements, and they also connect with uh, practices that are, are part of the Mexican tradition, the Chicanex tradition, and also uh, part of indigenous practices too. And uh, it's a way of reclaiming a long history. And uh, I definitely feel for me, there's an element of um, intersectional feminism that's in there and looking at the world through that lens. And um, I know so many witches who have, you know, used this title as a way of reclaiming either practices or just ways of showing up in the world. I love that. And when you say reclaiming, do you mean because maybe the Western way of thinking of a witch or brujeria magic has maybe transformed into like more of a negative connotation or like something completely different than what you authentically think about? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. There, there are ways that I feel like certain practices have been like either minimized or like denigrated uh, or, you know, if you think about, for example, like hierarchies of value when it comes to like knowledge and information, I'm someone with two master's degrees in two different fields, mm-hmm. uh, both in psychology and art. And I've even seen that within like the academic realm, there is like a, you know, certain academic fields have more value than others. And mm-hmm. in that same way, like certain forms of knowledge, like let's say indigenous knowledge, uh, knowledge that's been connected to women or femmes or like queer and trans people, there's been certain knowledges or practices that has been seen as less than, or even mm-hmm. as you said, demonized or made to be seen as evil or wrong. And so that is a big part of the reclaiming. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm, I'm curious what what are some of the misconceptions within that space? And if you can kind of maybe kind of explain some of those and kind of help help kind of even, you know, myself, I'm not very familiar with that. So just kind of help me understand maybe, you know, both sides of it. Yeah, um, I do feel like there are different misconceptions. Um, one is that, you know, there's like maybe a certain way that you have to practice. And I know that I grew up myself uh, hearing that these kinds of practices were really evil or wrong because I grew up Jehovah's Witness uh, within a really close, closed off community. And so witches or anyone who was in the occult were seen as evil or wrong. And I think nowadays I really learned that 
so many people have kind of taken on or, you know, reclaimed this title and that there is no one way to be a witch. There are uh, Jewish witches, there are Christian witches, there are pagan witches, there are indigenous witches, there are folks who, you know, are Latinx and connect more with their ancestral traditions that are witches. And so I do feel like it's a pretty broad title. And it also encompasses a lot of different ways of showing up in the world. And uh, I think that's also a misconception that, you know, if you're a witch, that you're always casting spells or putting hexes on people. But, you know, there are witches who are um, like myself or therapists or who are educators or who, um, you know, like to go shopping for organic food or whatever, you know, it's like <laughs> we show up in many different ways. And so I think that is like a misconception too, that we're limited in how we show up in the world. I was thinking, it popped in my head, um, everyone talking about like Giselle Bundchen after her and Tom Brady divorced <laughs> and that kind of like came to the surface. We're like, oh my God, she put a curse on him or something. But really, I'm sure she's probably just fascinating to talk to with her Brazilian background and, you know, but it was, a, it was that was the most recent one I can think of. Everyone was kind of talking about Brujeria. <laughs> um, and I was going to say, like, I think one thing that I've, you know, makes me think of is that there have been a lot of practices that women have traditionally done, like uh, being a midwife or being a doula and their practices or being, being a, a yerbera or an herbalist. There are certain practices that have supported community for many, many years, but because of the West and uh, I would say like the patriarchy coming in and wanting to co-opt and own these traditions, they've also had to demonize women or practices that are traditionally seen as being more connected to women or femme people. And I think that's also a big part of this too. And there's a lot of research and uh, history that's been done about this, like how it's been almost like a strategic move that's been done to, um, yeah, to like essentially steal labor and practices and, and demonize those who are doing it for their community initially. You're muted, Izzy. Sorry, as I explained, I do have a brand new puppy who is over here making noises. Um, I was just going to say, I'd never thought about that. And that's so interesting. And it's crazy the depths that patriarchy goes down to, you know, and how like once you start to view everything in that lens, it's like, yeah, crazy. Um, you brought up about your background a little bit of growing up as a Jehovah's Witness. I'd love to just kind of like start from the beginning, like where where did you grow up? And and then maybe like, how did you start to tap into, um, you know, the spiritual world, especially if you grew up kind of with denial um, or the culture in the culture that you grew up in? Yeah, so um, my family's from Mexico and my parents both came to the U.S. when they were pretty young. Uh, they were in their teens when they both came to the U.S. Uh, and it was mostly to look for work and to help support their own families. And I was raised, uh, I was born in East Los Angeles and I lived in East Los Angeles for the first few years of my life. Mm -hmm. And I ended up moving to the Inland Empire uh, when I was around five years old. And so I was raised for the most part in the Inland Empire. And as I said, I was very much involved in the Jehovah's Witness community, and it was mostly immigrants and uh, folks who were Spanish-speaking who were in that community. And so from a really early age, I had a deep connection to spirituality and to God, and that was really important for me. 
And of course, when I was around 15, I had a moment where I realized, like, I think I'm different. I think I'm queer. And uh, because of that, I know that at some point I'm going to lose this community that I have. And so it really, at that time, you know, it was scary, a scary thought, but it also really made me understand that I needed to uh, find other community. I needed to build other networks if I was going to survive, essentially. And uh, part of that process was that, you know, when I was in high school, I ended up going uh, to UC Riverside. Uh, that's in the Inland Empire near Riverside or in Riverside. And I studied abroad and I went to England and it was, I actually came out right before I left, um, came out of the closet and both, I came out of the closet both as a queer person and also uh, for a while I had been hiding the fact from my parents that I was studying art because my parents didn't really want me to go to college. Uh, they were actually pretty against it. So I had to convince them. And once I was in college, I had to, in many ways, like really show them that it was something purposeful. And so I was studying psychology and art, but for a while I hid it. But then I came out, I went abroad to England, and that's where I met a lot of anarchists who were living in squats, like squatted houses, which for folks that don't know, it, it's kind of, a I don't know if it's still allowed in England, but there was a rule at that time that if you lived in an abandoned house for more than like five years, you'd be able to actually like put your name on the lease and like live there. And so there were some people who actually were living that way where they had taken over abandoned spaces. And these queer and trans people that were living there were all witches and, you know, practicing, um, you know, ceremony and, and doing spells and working with the moon cycles. And it was such a eye-opening experience for me. And so I would say it was really the queer and trans community that first exposed me to witchcraft. When someone when someone comes to you and they want to you know tap into the the bruhad x side of kind of what you you offer, if they come to and this is like a very like I'm coming at it from a very like immature mindset of I am mad at somebody or somebody is is bothering me in my life, I'm gonna go see Edgar to 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 do like I, I'm trying to think of how people approach you for for kind of to tap into that side of your expertise and i'm just curious like like what what you would do for them or how that kind of goes about yeah i appreciate you bringing this question up Pedro, because i do feel like that is one of the misconceptions is mm -hmm. that because i do feel like there are like witches who offer those kinds of services i'm not one of those witches i don't do magic that harms people or that takes away their agency. And I feel like if someone were to come to me with that request of like wanting to do something to someone, I would really support them and kind of figure out what's going on with them and, and what ways they were feeling either trapped or disempowered and really help them kind of figure out what they needed in terms of, let's say, a ritual or a ceremony to get back into a place of feeling empowered and maybe like untangling from that person uh, because it seems like that person's really taking up a lot of their own energy. And I think that is a big belief and understanding in witchcraft too, is that your agency, your power, your inner power is really important. And so when someone else is really taking that, and it can you know, also be like a thing, an idea, a concept, that there are ways that you can start to give away your power or lose your power. And so um, that's really how I would 
you know, focus on that. But I also, in a sense, would maybe give a little bit of education about how I work because I like, as I said, that's not really how I practice. Yeah, that I I recently and Isabel and I've talked about this um, a few months ago. I was in a car with a friend and I was just somebody had like cut me off and I I was just like enraged because I get like this insane road rage. And my friend was like, "Why? Like, why are you wasting your energy on this?" innocent this this incident that was you know nobody got hurt it's over and she was just trying to explain to me like you really need need to just try to work on on keeping your energy and your focus on yourself and keep it for something that's positive when like it's really not doing anything for you to kind of just like go out and you know lash out at people and that's something i've been trying to work on the last couple months since my friend kind of brought it to my attention because i spent a lot of time alone and so like you know hearing some like you know i'm usually in my car by myself just like yelling at other cars so my friend kind of gave me that feedback and so the past few months i feel like i've been trying to work on that or be more just like self-aware of like how i you know use my energy and not in that negative way and just saving it just kind of taking a deep breath being able to just like just think it through and then just move on and i think that's something that is like i mean i'm, I'm 41 years old and it's just like now something that I'm finally <laughs> trying to be like, you know, trying to work through. Um, Cause I, I do that a lot. Like I'm a very happy person, I feel like, but I have these moments where I can just like, I just snap and, you know, trying to like figure out how to use my energy in a, in a more, you know, constructive and positive way is it's tough. It's, it's not easy. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's, why it makes sense for us to like build compassion for those parts of us that get immediately activated right when those kinds of things happen to us uh, because it is uh, sometimes you can't control it it just happens and so it is great to have those reflections those reminders and to see it also as a practice and I think as both of you being people who've been doing your, the work of going you know looking at yourself and being in therapy and healing it is so hard to do that work. And I think sometimes it is so much easier to just try to put the focus on someone else or try to focus on an outside situation. And so I definitely feel like it can sometimes be so much more of a challenge to really turn towards ourselves and notice what's happening. And so I also, that's, I think that's why I really commend the people that I work with as a therapist or people that I know who are doing that work because I just know how challenging that is. Yeah, and, and I think also like, like, going through kind of this sober journey, like in the past, if I was going through it and having a shitty week, or just, you know, if somebody, you know, ruined my day, my answer to that was, I'm going to have a drink, and I'm, I'm going to go to the bar and meet up with my buddies to just kind of get through that, that incident or that situation. And the fact that I don't, I'm not, I'm not doing that anymore. It's like trying to figure out, okay, what do I do now versus running towards alcohol or, you know, taking a pill that, you know, was something that I would do to help kind of just like remove, just kind of to help me kind of erase that, that situation from my head. But it's still in there that that like anger and, and that frustration is still in there. But I would just bottle it up by opening up a bottle, you know, and I think that that's that's part of the hard part, too, because it's not just like doing the self reflection, but just change also changing those like those, um, you know, it was just like, so, so common coping mechanism. Yeah, yeah, just like coping with it was Oh man, having a bad day. I'm going to drink, you know, 
Yeah. And do you mind if I ask you, like, are there things that you've been using now to like de-stress or to help yourself in those moments when you, you know, maybe are feeling that way, like you're wanting something to help you? I mean, I think there's so much that like, I try to put everything in perspective. Like that's, you know, I, I think of, you know, that at the end of the day, I'm a very fortunate person. I, you know, have a roof over my head. I have a great family. I have a great support system. And so I always try to kind of go back to that of like, you know what? It's not so bad. Like m my day shouldn't be ruined because, you know, someone cut me off. So it's it's a lot of just kind of taking a step back and reflecting like, hey, I, I, I have it pretty good. Like I'm fine. Um, so that's kind of like the mental part of it. And then also the physical part is, you know, I've, I've been working out. So I get some sort of physical kind of exertion from me in the morning before work. So that like, it kind of just that kind of helps my me kind of deal with multiple, you know, stressful situations. So I think it's just kind of taking a step back and giving myself perspective, and then, you know, kind of getting getting out into the world. And even if it's just like, taking a walk after dinner, you know, after a long day or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, doing something with that energy, right? Like, yeah, I definitely yeah. feel like walks for me have been so good <laughs> in terms of that, of like, I'm feeling so much. Let me go like do something with that, you know? Yeah, I feel like we were all faced with that maybe in the pandemic, like really in our face. I had to like go on walk, you know, mask up, but like go on walks. And I, I really felt the accumulation of all that ener like static energy sitting there. Um, so I feel like that was like a collective awakening for everybody, like, you got to move this energy around. Um, you were talking about, you know, doing the work and kind of looking inwards. And I've noticed in this past like year and a half of finally starting therapy, really reevaluating my relationship with alcohol, I've leaned more and more into that spiritual side of myself than like ever before. Um, and I feel like I am w much more like willing to go to even like a psychic or getting my tarot cards read where before I think I was really scared to face anything anyone had to say about my own choices, but it was only within me. Um, so not to perpetuate like, you know, that someone has to go through something big in order to, to kind of turn inwards or like ask for those resources but do you find that because I think that it should all be maintenance and you should be in touch with yourself but do you find that when people go to you like if they're starting out on their spiritual journey maybe it's kicked off by something sort of traumatic or you know how do you what do you typically see in like a first client kind of t dipping their toes in yeah you know I do feel like you know, in the tarot, for example, uh, there are two cards that are next to each other. And one of them is the tower card. And that to me is like those moments in your life that are really challenging, that really help you reevaluate everything, but they're really painful and they can be really intense. Um, and right after that card, though, is the star. And the star is all about hope and finding guidance and feeling like there's a new possibility. And so I do feel like archetypically and also just uh, in terms of the experience I've had, it does seem like sometimes when folks are challenged or when they do try to make a big change or they're forced to make a big change, that is when you turn towards other things, whether that's spirituality or your own healing journey. 
I do feel like that is sometimes the impetus that people need to get to that place. And I'm feeling called to share something from my own personal life about this because um, I haven't had alcohol now for, I think, a little over a decade. I kind of lost count at some point. Um, But, you know, when I first started, I like really sat myself down and I started to think to myself, what is something that I love about alcohol that it like gives me that I like am really challenged to not have it in my life? And the thing that I thought of was, I love the feeling of exhilaration that I feel when I drink alcohol and how I feel emboldened to do certain things that I would never do without alcohol. And so when I realized that, it gave me like a pause and it made me realize that there were so many things that I was afraid of doing. So many things that I really wanted that my heart was yearning for, but that I was almost using alcohol as something to keep me away from that and give me those little moments of, oh, you're doing something wild, but I wasn't actually doing the real big things that scared the shit out of me, you know? And I'll give you some examples of what those things were because I I made a list of like, what are those things that I really want, but I'm definitely afraid of? And it was like, I want to perform in front of 100 people. I want to walk down a museum with a curator and talk about my art. I want to uh, get a master's degree in fine art. I want to really step into what it means to have a business and not have a job. Like, there were all these things that I was deathly afraid of, but it was really like a call to power, a call to my true path and my true journey. And so I'm really glad that you brought up this fear because I do feel like lots of times when we don't have those uh, tools or those crutches that we've been using, we are faced with things that we've been either ignoring or been afraid of. And I do feel like those can actually be really powerful catalysts. And so, you know, I'm happy to say that I've been getting my exhilaration from doing those things now and taking those risks. And so I just really want to share that because it feels really in alignment with this conversation of like what happens along that healing journey and what are some motivations that some of us have sometimes both for being in the place of drinking and also trying to get out of it too. Yeah, no, that's, that's, well, first off, congratulations on 10, you know, 10 years, about 10 years of sobriety. That's, that's amazing. And that's, that's really great. Um, And, and you, so you hit on something that's extremely relatable. So I, I know one thing that I've kind of talked to my friends about is, you know, when I stopped drinking the stop, the, the stopping the drinking part wasn't the hard part for me. The hard part for me was finding something that brought me as much happiness as alcohol did. And so I, I, there's, there's this connection that I'm seeing here. Right. And like, like I'm, and I'm still struggling with that. And I, I struggle with that almost every day of like, am I going to ever find something that gave me that happiness, that spark that, you know, oh, it's five, six o'clock. I'm off work. I'm going to the bar. It's going to be a great, great, you know, night. And like, I don't have that used to bring me so much happiness and this like spark of energy. And I, nothing has given me that in over a year. And it's, it's gotten me down. It's gotten me sad. And I'm just like, shit, am I never going to be as happy as I used to be when I was drunk? And maybe the answer is, Maybe I won't find something that's going to give me that exact feeling, 
but there are other things that I'm that I'm also very grateful for. And I, you know, I wake up every morning without a hangover. I have, you know, no regrets for the most part. And so there's 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 definitely things that replace and kind of replace that. But there is that like, like, wow, like, can I will I ever find that that's that exuberant that just that excitement that alcohol and drugs used to bring me. And, um, you know, like exercise doesn't that doesn't give it to me. So like, I think something that you said of like, you made a list, you know, whether it's like public speaking, sharing your art, you know, doing more of the education side, like that, I mean, you just kind of gave me an idea of like, wow, maybe it's like facing my fears is gonna gonna give me that kind of that that spark that I've been like, yearning for and like trying to find. Now I just got to figure out what my fears are other than heights. (laughs) <laughs> yeah and I think also thinking about like what was that thing that like made you so happy like what was what was behind that feeling was it I'm gonna lose myself I get to let go of responsibility like what were those things that you really looked forward to and then again yeah making that list and being like how can I like get more of that in my life how can I find that in you know relatively healthier ways right like how can you still get that feeling of I'm looking forward to this thing that I'm gonna do like without needing to have those substances. I think that is like a big question, but yeah, I think facing those fears, I think is a good place to also start because I do feel like sometimes there is like a deeper, like more existential need or something else that's like there that's kind of calling us or telling us it wants us to move in a certain direction. And um, and I think it could really help anyone to really take a moment and explore some of the things that you're yearning for that you're desiring. Edging with fear. Okay. I'm writing that down. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. I feel like that sparked my own idea too. And it touched on something that my therapist said kind of early on um, in when I started meeting with her was that I said something about, I think it was about drinking and she said, well, it sounds like it just didn't sit right with your spirit and something about her saying it so simply like that. I was like, oh, I am having these feelings. Like if I just take the second to literally verbalize what it is, it's that it's not sitting right with me, then like I shouldn't ignore that, you know? And I think I just spent a really long time ignoring those uncomfortable feelings, um, instead of acknowledging them. And I think that's where you find those like glimpses of like, oh my gosh, I I'm growing. Like I'm like deepening into myself and feeling more peace and like not just ignoring the uncomfortableness of it, you know? Um, And if I think about it in the frame of this conversation right now with both of you guys who have, you know, successfully cut out alcohol and have been on this journey, like I'm definitely not there yet. I have significantly cut back, but I've never kind of put it on myself to be like, I'm not going to drink anymore. Like I'm just pretty loose with it. Um, But maybe there's a part of me that's not ready to face that fear yet. Maybe I'm like, haven't approached, haven't let myself think about what my life could look like without the occasional glass of wine, et cetera. So it's inspiring to hear both of you guys, um, you know, face it all head on. Yeah. And I I think Isabel, like, I mean, we've talked about how, I mean, we're all on our own, we're on our own journeys. Right. And like, and I've talked to other friends of mine that 
you know, over the past year have taken a break from alcohol and then they've gone back or, you know, they just kind of reevaluating their relationship. And what I've kind of learned is like, you know, we're all on, on our own path and there's not one way to, to do it. And, you know, like I've said this a million times on this podcast that I may drink again once I'm comfortable with having a new relationship with alcohol that's responsible. I'm just not ready now. And so I don't think it's like, you can take off three weeks, you can take off six months, you can take off 10 years. I think my dad took off like 12 years. And then when he decided to drink again, when he figured out he could do it responsibly, he's been able to have that healthy relationship with alcohol. So I, I don't think, you know, there's not a right or wrong, wrong way to do it as long as you're, you know, you're, you're doing it in a healthy way that, that helps yourself. Authentically. Well, yeah, authentically. And I, I think, you know, the fact that like, you've taken the big step of, of, you know, starting therapy when it's something that we talked about for years of something you want mm -hmm. to do and you actually took that step. And I mean, I've, I've wanted to do it too. And I haven't gone there yet. So it's like, you know, we're on this, like, you know, we're going to, we're going to, I feel like we're going to swap soon. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. mentioned Edgar, that today was your therapy day too. Um, so I'd love to hear kind of what that looks like and what's your practice and, um, you know, anything you can share about your experience being a therapist? Yeah. Um, so I've now been a therapist for since 2013. I graduated. I got my master's in Portland State University in Oregon, and I um, focused on clinical mental health counseling. I really wanted to understand the diagnosis model because I have a lot of challenges with the diagnosis model. So I really wanted to learn it and know it well. Uh, and I also at that time studied somatic psychotherapy, which means that as a therapist, I like to bring the body into the session. And so uh, just to, to give an example, like someone might be sharing something and you know we're having a conversation and I might notice them make a certain move or hold themselves a certain way. And I might stop them and take have them take a moment to check in and see what's happening in their body. And uh, it's something that I do throughout therapy. And I also incorporate a lot of mindfulness in my practice. And I primarily at this moment, um, I have a telehealth uh, private practice, uh, where I work mostly with artists and folks who identify as highly sensitive, uh, because I'm someone who's also highly sensitive, and I'm an artist. So I feel like it's a good intersection of the different communities that I connect with. And also, I know how to work with people who have a similar experience to me. And so yeah, I I love the clients that I have. I feel like I work with people who are on also like we were talking about, you know, just a second ago on many different parts of their own journeys in terms of healing and uh, stepping into their power and also, um, you know, moving more towards their dreams and their goals. And that is a big thing that I like to do as a therapist is really help people achieve things that they're afraid of or move towards things that maybe feel impossible. And I'm someone who for so many years felt like I wanted to be an artist and I was so afraid of it. And it is such a challenging journey. It's not easy being an artist. So I know so many people give up or feel like it's never gonna happen. And so I also really appreciate being able to be there as someone who can understand what that journey is like and support people throughout that process. Because as I said, it being an artist is hard. It takes a lot of vulnerability. It takes a lot of perseverance and also a lot of uncertainty because you don't ever know like what, you know, what it means. Because I think a lot of artists are also visionaries. They see way beyond the current time that they're living in. And so, so many artists have to wait 
years, sometimes decades for people to catch up and really understand what they're doing. I'd love to hear more about your specific kind of art, art genre, the type of art it is, and really like, you know, what, what made you kind of go into that direction? Cause I I've seen, I've seen some of your art and I'm just, I'm blown away and it's, I'm just like, how the hell did he make that? How did he do that? <laughs> Sorry. Um, they, please correct me. I'm, I'm, when how I'm, did they make that? If you could kind of help me. You know, I would say that I've shared this um, on other podcasts and um, I actually shared this on, um, I was at LACMA recently where I did like a workshop and I like shared on on the blog post about it. It's for me was one of my most transformative experiences. I was like 14 and I went to LACMA for the first time ever as a young person. I didn't grow up seeing contemporary art, so it was really like a new experience for me. And that for me was my first, like what I like to call like a transcendental experience where I was like taken out of my body. I felt really confused and disoriented and I knew that I needed to know more. <laughs> like I was just like, so like, what the hell is this, you know? And that was what really pushed me into the direction of becoming an artist. And so ever since I was like 14, I've been really fascinated by art of all kinds mostly contemporary art, I would say. And as I've grown and developed as an artist, I've incorporated other aesthetics. Like for example, I love to work a lot with like internet aesthetic, digital aesthetic. I make a lot of digital work. I also love to incorporate aesthetic that comes from the queer and trans culture too, as well as now more recently in the last few years, I've had a big change in my life where um, I had a conversation with my dad that really opened up my connection to my indigenous ancestry. And it was something that my dad and mom never really spoke about as a young person. And so ever since I've been reconnected with my indigenous ancestry, I've also been really excited to incorporate indigenous ways of knowledge, uh, indigenous forms like art forms and practices into my art as well. And so it's definitely like a hybrid. And uh, I don't know if I have like a genre exactly, but I would say that I do create a lot of installation art uh, where I create a space for people. And I also create spaces for people as someone who hosts a lot of workshops, events, uh, classes, ceremonies. And I've also gotten a lot of financial and community support to do big public events and also do public projects like have my art on billboards or, uh, you know, be seen in, for example, Pershing Square. I helped organize an event a couple years ago uh, with the city. And so I definitely would say that I'm as expansive and transgressive as an artist as I am as a working person or as a living person. <laughs> I was going to say, I feel like not only do you make like space and you play with space, but you make space for people to be like authentically themselves too, like in your practice and in your day-to-day -day life. Um, and when, when you were talking about the workshops and I, I noticed like on your Instagram, your social page, you, you lift up artists a lot and um, support them. And I feel like something that I was curious about is um, one of my goals in parallel to kind of the self journey I've been on is to really be more creative and tap into that creative side, whether it's making the podcast or creating my own art, um, either privately or publicly. And can you kind of touch on 
like that feeling of connectedness and kind of needing to tap into that creative side, maybe when you're like how that's all connected to kind of your spiritual and whether it's therapy or just spiritual in general journey. Yeah, I do see it as a form of activism, as a way of showing up in the world where I'm creating something that I wish I had. I also see it as like time travel magic where I'm making space for a younger version of myself that maybe felt really lost and didn't know how I was going to fit in the world. I did get a lot of messaging as a young person that I needed to pick one career or I needed to be serious about what I was doing with my life. And um, that lasted, you know, it's not like it was only when I was young. I was still getting those kinds of messages when I was in my mid-20s and early 30s. And so I would say that a big part of my own spiritual journey has been to help create space for other people to inspire. And that's honestly come from me also receiving that and really being emboldened to step into, you know, whether it's being a therapist, whether it's being a practicing witch, or whether it's being a public artist, like, I've seen other people like me also do that. And especially, you know, being from, you know, a low income community, especially being the first in my family to go to college and to come from, you know, parents who were undocumented at some point. And also I'm queer, I'm like neurodiverse. Like there's so many reasons why I should not exist within the art world. And so because of that, I do feel like I'm so so, so drawn to holding, creating, forging space for people like me. And I do see that as a part of my art practice, my spiritual practice, my activist practice. It is really about uh, helping to deconstruct some of these uh, really real power imbalances and structures that have kept certain communities, certain people out of the cultural sphere. And I think that is like also the part of me that is really interested in uh, destabilizing these hierarchies of value around knowledge, around culture, around who deserves a platform, who doesn't. Like, I think there is so much work to do around that. And I think that's uh, something I've really benefited from seeing other people do that. And so I'm definitely called to uplift and support and also to live as an example too. Wow, that's so inspiring. And I feel like when you said that you view art as like the time travel component too to kind of like make space for your younger self. I was trying to remember some, I just read something about that too, where a woman was questioning whether, or she was saying she's not an artist anymore. And someone was countering that with saying, you're always an artist and the way you show up and those pieces that you've made are like frozen in time and like are a, a piece of you from that moment. Um, Cause I think the woman was saying, you know, she is busy being a mom and she just had all this other stuff get in quote unquote the way, but they were arguing the way you parent, you, you're an artist, you know, it just shows up um, in so many ways. So I think that's that's really beautiful to to think about as like a time travel component. And I think there's there's a message in there as well of like like it's never too late to to you know dip into that world whether it's the arts or it could be something you know with you know fitness or education and I like like I feel like I know personally like there's been so many moments in my life where I'm like I wanted to do something 
whether it was a career change or, you know, a hobby. And I'm like, eh, I'm too old to that. I'm 25. And I look back and I'm like, God, if I was 25 and I made that change, you know, I would have, you know, 15 plus years of experience in that field. And I think about, you know, we, Isabel and I all the time. I mean, we always like to think of ourselves as creatives because of what we do on our professional side, but we're always, you know, like, oh, we should do this or we should do that. And like, there's always kind of this, like this voice in the back of, I, I know, speaking for myself, it's like, uh, it's too late, or maybe you shouldn't, or do you have the time? Can you invest the time? And it's just like, you just got to freaking do it. And I think like, you know, there's so many, you know, there's so many things I've seen online where it's like, so-and-so person didn't, you know, you know, get to their career until they were like 45, or they didn't, you know, do this until they were 50. And it's just like, you know, when you see those, I'm like, okay, that that's motivating. That's, you know, a positive thing for me to kind of like look at. And I mean, I think, you know, Isabel and I, we always chat about that all the time. Like, oh, should we like start like Isabel was saying the other day, like, I want to start like refurbishing furniture. And like, I do a bunch of photography stuff. And I think about doing gallery work. And it's just like, you just got to do it. And it's it's never too late. And the whole like time travel thing, you blew my mind with that. I'm like, okay, like, yeah, like, I feel like some of the stuff that I've created, it, it takes me back to like, when I was in high school, wanting to be a graffiti artist. And I'm like, ah, it's too late, because I have friends that have been doing it since middle school, you know, and like, there's just kind of like putting like more thought into like time. I think we, fo we focus too much on like the time of things of like being restricted thinking, Oh, you can only do something within this small space of time when you're young, quote unquote young. I mean, we're, we're, we're still young at heart, you know, no matter what I think, I think, I think as, as we get older, we all, we figure out too, like adults don't have it figured out. Nobody has it figured out. We're all figuring <laughs> it out as we, as we go along. And then I'm just like, I think about when I was a kid, I'm like, man, my parents really didn't know what the hell they were doing, but I saw them as like these old wise people, but you know, we're, we're all just figuring it out. And I think if you, if you keep that mentality, you know, it, it, it's helpful. Yeah. And I, and I think this makes me think a lot about what Isabel was sharing earlier around, you know, having that reflection from her therapist saying, hey, like this doesn't sit well with your spirit, right? And sometimes we need someone to help us really be able to see thoughts that are so automatic that just show up and tell us like, you're not allowed to do that. It's too late for you. Or like, you don't deserve that, right? Like those are things that just we internalize in many different ways and not to open up this can of worms, but like I've recently been thinking a lot about how I'm someone who has two master's degrees and they're both in professions that, Technically, it could be businesses, should be businesses. One is an artist, the other being a therapist. And I think about how in my two master's degrees, I never learned about money, about business, about how to like really establish something that's going to support me and sustain me. And I do think about like the tactics, the strategies, the reasons behind that. And I think a lot of people we receive messaging that really disempowers us. And even the lack of a conversation around money is disempowering because it makes people feel like they're not allowed to talk about it. It's shameful. It's something that should be disconnected from healing or from art. And I do honestly feel like this benefits a lot of people because both as a therapist and as an artist, I've been super exploited. And it's so common to, for people to be exploited. And I think that there are reasons that we have these internalized voices that we've learned from somewhere. And so I do feel like that is the power of therapy, of doing self-reflection work, is that you start to notice what these are. And then 
if you're able to make some space, start to maybe question them, start to challenge them, start to do something a little bit different. Yeah, those um, kind of stories that we tell ourselves about ourselves that we're so used to like thinking that it takes it takes a big step backwards to think, oh, that's on, that's just something I've been saying. That's how I've described myself. And sometimes it's even out loud, right? Like you say, oh, I am X and you never question it. And so you never allow yourself that room to, am I like, am I actually that person or have I changed or actually maybe I was before, but now I'm something different, you know? And I feel like we all have that imposter syndrome in us. That's just like embedded from like all the voices in the world that are just like telling you you're not good enough or you're not qualified to be X, Y, Z. And it's just all, you know, it's such bullshit, but like, it's just been hit, you know, it's been hit in our head since we were probably, you know, kids and it's, it's tough to kind of like let that go and, and, you know, not listen to those voices because I, I, I mean, it happens to me every day. It's, I mean, I, I'm a, I'm an overthinker. I'm constantly overthinking. And that's part of it is like, eh, you're not good enough. Uh, the world doesn't need another photographer. Uh, the world doesn't need another podcaster, which is probably true. But if it's making me happy, screw it. Who cares? <laughs> right? Yeah. And I think going along with that time travel magic piece, too, is that you never know how important something you're creating in a certain moment is going to be at another moment in time. Like, Everything we're making, like Isabel was saying, is a time capsule. It's something that, you know, in five years, someone could really benefit from. And I think that is a thing, too, that you're, in a sense, when you take that risk and you create something and put it out into the world, you release it and you never know how it's going to impact other people. And I think I personally, I've witnessed, you know, challenging that imposter syndrome that I feel like I was also internalized with. I've had people like approach me on the street who've been touched by artworks that I like forgot about, you know, or like things that I like totally don't remember have really changed people's lives. And so I think it's like, you never know what kind of an impact you're going to have by doing the work that is, as you said, enjoyable, that you have passion for, that you maybe feel is pointless, but it actually might impact someone and change their lives. And I think if you change one person's life, that is like worth it to me. Yeah. There's a concept, maybe you'll know what what I, I'm talking about, that I heard that's kind of like creativity exists in the universe already and we're kind of like channels to like grab that in that moment in time. And I love that idea because I feel like I've 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 taken advantage of that and I've also not. I've also felt it and then it passed. And I can tie anything back to Beyonce. One thing that yes. stood out to me was Beyonce's dad <laughs> for his, for her birthday. He said, "You know, you you all see my daughter as um you all see my daughter as you know this visionary and creative. I've and the hardest worker in the world. And what I've seen from her over the years is this sense of like urgency. Like she had this urgency to create because it existed inside of her and she knew it was there and like that's what makes her a great you know like she takes action and puts in the work on every time that spark or that feeling comes along and you know is is such an icon now so that's just me tying it all back to Beyonce <laughs> Isabel will do anything to connect connect herself to Beyonce <laughs> we're like sisters yeah Cla right. classic Isabel yeah. classic Isabel. yeah um 
And uh, I just want to say that I know that feeling of getting getting a download, I like to call it that, or getting yeah. an access to that collective consciousness. And I have to sometimes, I can't always do it, but sometimes I just literally have to push everything away. Like I literally this last week had to finish my taxes. And there was one day where I was like, I'm going to do my taxes today. But I got one of those moments where I was just like, here's an idea. And I was like, fuck it. I have to just like make this happen. If not, it's going to go away. And so yeah. I, totally, I totally know that feeling. Yeah, it's so cool. And I think like, I think that's all part of doing that self-work too, is you almost like allow yourself room to access that feeling and like to, yeah, like you said, like clear space and stop everything you're doing and like be a little brave to like give yourself the power to do that. Um, yeah, I, I think that that's, I mean, I could talk to you literally for three more hours. I know we've, we're almost at time here, but I think that's like what's come across in our conversation from you is really like this bravery and courageousness. And it's in a very selfless way, um, the way you show up and help people and the way you view just like your art and your service to others. Cause I think that's what it all comes down to. It's like allowing space and and being of service um, in a really inspiring and awesome way. So I, I, this has been amazing. And, and Edgar, when I, when I, next time that I get frustrated and someone cuts me off, I'm just going to hear your voice in the back of my head because mm-hmm. your voice is so soothing so and soothing. calming. <laughs> you need to podcast yourself. I would subscribe right away. <laughs> yeah, can you can you read some audiobooks or something? Because I I need to hear your voice more often in the car while I'm driving to work. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. And yeah, I'm just so glad that we can have this conversation. I really do feel like a lot of people are going to benefit from hearing our different experiences. And I'm sure between the three of us, like the people can really connect with what we have to share and. Yeah, I'm just really excited that y'all are creating this out of the your own passion and also sharing your own journey because I do feel like as someone who has struggled with alcohol and also struggled to let it go and also had that same feeling of like, will my life ever be exciting ever again? I, yeah. I'm so glad to know that, you know, we can each represent different aspects of that journey and really let people know that there is life after, you know, letting go of alcohol or being in that journey of navigating it and seeing what it's like to reevaluate your relationship. Yeah. And that it gets even better and more enriching and more rewarding. Um, Well, let everyone know where they can find you, um, Instagram, website, all of that, anything you have coming up as well. Yeah, so um, you can check out all my artwork by going to edgarfabianfrias.org if you want to see some of the past projects I worked on. Uh, if you're interested in my therapy practice, you can go to therapywithedgar.com and learn more about the kind of work that I do, uh, the folks that I work with. And I am on Instagram at edgarfabianfrias altogether, and also Therapy with Edgar. Those are my two Instagram handles. And I'm also on other platforms, like have a lot of videos on YouTube. If you're interested in seeing some of past projects there, um, the same Edgar Fabian Frias, you can find me there too. Awesome. Yay. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank, thank you, you so Edgar. Much for having me.